0: the recreation sexy. That's why, like most campus admissions brochures, have the the climbing wall or the rafting trip on the front page. Like, look what you could do when you come here and college experience. I mean, look at the car companies that every one of them has bikes or boats on top of a vehicle driving through a beautiful place because they know it works. They know everybody wants to have that access.
1: If you are new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our Ever Expanding Library of Episodes. Episode 101 is part two of a four-part series where we highlight the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative at the West Virginia University. Part two of the series features Andy Williamson, which to some is no stranger, as he's been part of the outdoor recreation and trail community for many years now. Andy's role at the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative is the director of outdoor community development. So as you could imagine, we'll be going deep on outdoor communities during this conversation. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Fact episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with tagging Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me, this podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now, on to the trail effect with Andy Williamson. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I got Andy Williamson, the Director of Outdoor Community Development at the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Collaborative. Did I get it?
0: Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative. Oh, I
1: forgot the development part. Well, how's it going today, Andy? You're doing great. That's awesome. It's funny because, you know, I met you and Rich and Danny all at the same time at the same venue for the first ever InBitrail Labs conference back
0: in... And imagine the three of us all together here in West Virginia now. It's quite kinda of wild, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And you guys all took different paths to get there. And with that, let's talk about your path because your path is you've you've gone to a bunch of different places, you've held a bunch of t- a bunch of different roles, and they all line you up with exactly what you're doing for the West Virginia University now.
0: Yeah. I actually had a really great lunch conversation with some uh, some friends that wanted to chat and they had a college student sitting there. They brought their son uh, to join us for lunch and we we're just you know chatting about how do you get into doing cool work like this? And I get asked a lot by people like, I want to work in the outdoor space. How do I do that? And there's a lot different asked there. And honestly, I'm one of the few people who actually wanted to go to college to do these things. So, you know, my my degree program's started in somewhat of a general education realm. And then I was like, wait, I mean, I can go to college and get a degree and a job and helping people get outside and explore nature, uh, be active, healthy, get the, get the adrenaline rush from some of the fun activities and explore places I'm in. So I think I, I, I really, as a city boy, Boy Scouts really helped me see that path. And, um, my first taste in the mountains had me sold. So, um, I served a lot of the roles in my career, Josh. Uh, I've been a campus rec, traditional outdoor programmer, and summer camp person earlier on in my career. I was fortunate to serve on the board of the Association of Outdoor Recreation and Education, uh, the AORE, or AOR. And that's where I first met uh, Danny uh, at some conferences and with some colleagues that he was really involved in that world from a faculty side. I was able to be on the ground to be a part of a transformative urban renewal initiative in Dayton, Ohio called was Outdoors, where he really systematically looked at how do you utilize local municipal public lands, county public lands, rivers, trails, and other things to revitalize a dying steel city. And that really opened my eyes to the, the bigger potential than just the, the guiding, the, the experiential side of outdoor recreation to the community development and the economic development and all the public health and all the things that we know now more than ever that we did, you know, 15 20 years ago that outdoor recreation can provide you know that experience mentorship I got there led me to join the team at Imba as you mentioned the trail lab you know I was uh, originally I was brought on with a early on in the program of the regional director program so I was the Great Lakes region director and uh got to drive around in a Subaru and work with great champions and advocates like yourself all around uh, the multi-state area, in the lower Midwest or the Great Lakes, as we called it, and was able to really be a resource, to be a, a coach, a mentor, to to be that person with. From you know, sometimes you can't be a prophet in your own land, Josh. So I got to come in and reinforce my local advocates and partners uh, with you know the different perspective or a different way to convey the the value proposition around. Around trails and that, like specifically, and um, I learned a lot. Was able to be involved in some major programs and projects, uh, support some great, great systems that are on the ground today in, in various ways, and made some great relationships and friends out of that. And then, you know, I, I became the, the program director at Imba, and that's where I had the opportunity to really develop the Trail Lab, which was designed to, you know, showcase this test kitchen, this amazing. Uh, opportunity to to work with the team in bentonville visit bentonville the walton family foundation to bring people from around the world there with our expertise at imba to to talk about the principles and best practices of of how do you see a vision come to reality what are the principles of planning design how do you activate brand and promote these things and of course uh, how do you maintain them in perpetuity uh in a place that you know was able to have a little bit more flexibility in trial and error because of the resources and collaboration they have at Bentonville. It's amazing to see how that community has grown. You know, and I've also had a chance to work in, this, in, in the outdoor economic space and work with outdoor businesses as the executive director of the Outdoor Gear Builders, and then the director of a regional outdoor uh, economic development and community development initiative called Made by Mountains in Western North Carolina, in Asheville. And that all led me here to West Virginia, where I'm able to take all that collective experience of being in the trenches, uh, being an advocate myself, understanding all the different pieces of the whole ecosystem is really how I look at it now, Josh, is to help our partners at all levels here in the state across Appalachia see the different elements of a, of a, of a healthy, balanced ecosystem so that we can really leverage our greatest asset here in Appalachia, and that's our our access to nature and our public lands.
1: Yeah, and you're pretty new in this role
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. At the D, yeah, uh, yeah. June first, June first. My family and I moved here Memorial Day weekend, and my wife is now also a faculty at West Virginia University. Uh, so we're both here and all in on West Virginia.
1: And you came from the Asheville area, which is interesting because, if I remember right, you really chose Asheville before you came to West Virginia because of what they actually had to offer for outdoor recreation, more more so than a career choice. Correct.
0: Absolutely, like many people today, especially PC post COVID, we made a very intentional decision and a very data-driven decision. Like I am, had criteria in a weighted matrix and looked at all the factors that we look for in a place to live, and then of course the you know the, of course the trails, you know breweries per capita, all the things are important to me. But what are the quality of the schools, cost of living, all those things that everybody looks for. My wife is an avid swimmer and athlete as well. So do they have the facilities there? And we really narrowed it down to a few spots. And uh, Western North Carolina region really had the full package for us. And we were fortunate enough to be able to land opportunities there. I was a consultant at the time uh, at my own company called Active Strategies with my partner, Greg. And uh, so I was able to, to, to be a little bit more nimble. My wife got a job there. So uh, we, we did get a career there, but a, a Asheville, Western North Carolina was our, our choice, but we we sought out a position to make that a reality.
1: Yeah. Over the time that you've spent doing what you're doing now, how often have you seen it where people are now making that choice to live for a lifestyle versus live for a career and where they choose?
0: I would say it's actually, you know, very few people do I know. They have the quality of life and those amenities first. While a job is kind of a necessity for many people, they're not uh, remote workers. They they are looking for that and they try to find a way and maybe wait until the timing's right to make that happen. So I think the tide has definitely shifted to where the desired quality of life and the place, the sense of place, is more important than the job in many cases. As I like to say in some of my presentations, people are getting doctor degrees to flip hamburg and flip hamburgers to so move to Portland, Asheville, and all these other iconic. Uh, communities that have really leveraged that quality of place and that culture that the young professionals today are looking for. So that's really what we're up against. You know, There's an eco- economic battle between communities. It's not like neighboring communities necessarily, but it's a region that is up against. Appalachia is up against the Rocky Mountain West and the West Coast and other areas that are all in the Midwest and the South. They're all looking to Attract those businesses, and those businesses that are looking for that workforce. And right now, hiring a workforce is the biggest thing. I think it's one of the reasons why the Ascend West Virginia program has been so successful thus far and has had such uh, resounding interest, uh, overwhelming interest in the applications. If, if Danny shared with you the numbers, there are telling that people see the, the opportunity to live in a beautiful place and have that affordable cost of living and, and be a part of, of really making making their life uh, around the outdoors here in the most mountainous state in the country.
1: Yeah, we did talk a little bit in part one about Ascend West Virginia. And like I pointed out to Danny, I thought it was very interesting that one of the partners there is the Department of Tourism. You know, so many times you hear tourism talking about just heads and beds, but now Tourism officials are starting to wise up to the fact that, you know, people are traveling to places. And, and actually, this was said in that video that was made from the First Trail Labs, that people come to places on vacation and look around to figure out how they can move there.
0: You got it. I, I would have never known about Western North Carolina or any of the other places on my top three list if I hadn't already been there before. And I was usually there because of an event or for a vacation. And, and uh, as, as Dr. Twilly says, uh, tourism is red carpet to residency that is key here. And that first impression is so important.
1: Let's talk about your role. I know you're new in your role, but kind of the way you see it and some of the stuff you've been working on since moving to West Virginia.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure you chatted in, uh, in the series one here, this focus on what's happening in West Virginia is that, you know, we have, you know, I'm not going to show you, we have a lot of challenges here in the state. We're at the bottom of a lot of lists. And one of those, those lists that is alarming is, is that we are, is our projection of population loss in the future. So thinking about all the holistic approaches to how do we leverage what we have to stop that brain drain, to make our youth here want to either come back or stay uh, and to make sure that the people that are here see themselves in new opportunities um, and have a sense of pride and, and value in their community and, and their assets then also get other people to come here because we don't have a lot of population to begin with. So we need to to get back. And we're not trying to necessarily grow the population. We're trying to get back to the population it once was. Many of these communities around the state have had much higher numbers of residents and they were bumping not too long ago, but in many cases, throughout the last century, we've had a lot of shifts and those numbers. So, we're trying to figure out what that historical, you know, carrying capacity is and what that, that level is. And then, how do we take one of the things we have more than most states, and that's outdoor recreation, and use that as a tool, not the one arrow in the quiver, but as a tool to tackle a lot of the things this, cha- this, this state needs to improve on, from public health to, again, traction, attention of talent. Our challenges are, are the same that everybody else faces, especially in rural Appalachia. But in some cases, the bar is a li- needs to be raised a little bit higher here in order to get to that, that good balance we're looking for. So my job here as a director of Outdoor Community Development is really to identify those gaps, identify the capacity issues, the knowledge gaps, bring resources, and help not only see the vision and the potential... But help them understand the stepping stones in the past to make that happen in, in their own unique, authentic way. So I'm in, I'm six months in, and I'm, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around all of that. But I've, I've been fortunate to really witness the, the amazing collaboration, the work that's been done in these communities, and the excitement and energy that surrounds outdoor recreation and it being a tool for quality of life enhancement more career and economic uh, act, growth and activity and creating a better visitor experience so you know i'm fortunate to have worked a lot of places have consulted and, and um, partnered with a lot of communities and have a, a broader national perspective so being able to bring in you know example plans strategies data or even just come in and speak like i have a, I have a presentation to a city council tonight at five thirty. Being able to just reinforce our our local partners and champions that are on the ground doing this work with a different perspective to help connect those dots is really exciting. And we're just getting started. Yeah, we really are. We're just getting started. We're a pretty new program.
1: Yeah. And, you know, talent attraction is important, but retention, especially being that you're at a university and, you know, giving, giving a reason or multiple reasons for those students that once they graduate to stay in town or to stay in the state. You know, that's huge. And I think a lot of universities look at that just the way you guys are, but aren't really attacking it as purposeful as you are.
0: Well, we, we, there are many universities and many communities that are doing it differently than us. Um, Some focus more on the, the internship and connection to the, the, the corporate community and making sure those jobs are made. We want people to have such an amazing experience here. In the state and fall in love with the state, they they're going to find a way. Like many of those remote workers that are moving here to stay as well, so a lot of institutions that are in communities and state that have this challenge, Um, I've learned through other roles in my my career that there are a lot of different ways to address that. From I mentioned, just making sure there's data out there that shows that college students that are more involved and more engaged in their community from a volunteer perspective, from an internship or a job perspective, getting that practicum experience are much more likely to stay in that community. And of course, connecting people to those institutions is really key. A lot of the people that I meet and see here are are either WVU grads or are, are natives. So there's a great deal of pride and love for the state for those. So, you know... The numbers are the numbers, um, but considering how passionate people are about this institution and the state that are from here or graduated here, I, I'm still trying to figure out why we have this exodus, but I'm still new. I'm still trying to figure that out because I've seen nothing but overwhelming love for the Flying WV, the institution, and the state as a whole. So my perceptions, my understandings are all being challenged, and I, I really like that in my career to come to a new place and have a whole new outlook, a whole new opportunity, a whole new way, or whole, all new problems to solve, to help work with really smart people to do, to fix.
1: Let's go down that path a little bit, as far as like, since you've moved to West Virginia, what are some things you've done that have really caught your attention or really surprised you that you maybe didn't know about that were just available as far as resources and activities in West Virginia?
0: I mean, I, I have been vacationing, guiding trips, um, exploring the state since I was a, a late teenager and was able to do that uh, and had my own wheels, right? I'd, so I'm very familiar with the iconic destinations, the skiing, the climbing, the, the whitewater. I'd never understood the significance and the magnitude, as, as I'm sure Danny talked about, more navigable, runnable water than anywhere else more climbing routes i mean it, it's just you know the one thing we don't have as much of or as diverse of our trails and we're going all in that's why we have rich edwards was to do that but just the, the sheer quantification of that and that we're finally putting our stake in the ground like look we're not messing around west virginia has this we've just not good enough done, done a good enough job telling our story so we're really trying to be that megaphone for the state and those assets, and, and put some real numbers and, and quantify it side by side, apples to apples to other places that have all these things. So, that's the first and foremost is that the, I knew it was an adventure, outdoor adventure, outdoor recreation, Mecca, and people that live here know that. But to actually see it in the data, the numbers is really powerful. You know, I, I am not unfamiliar with extractive industries and have worked all over the country in various uh, communities that are trying to reinvent themselves from that. You know, West Virginia's history is its own, and it's really been interesting and, and powerful for me to see and experience and witness the transitions, the, the ebbs and flows, the, the way things work here. It's just a new a lab, so to speak, metaphorically. It's just seeing a whole new way of how things have happened so that's another exciting challenge is just you know the reflecting on the history and, and instead of you know and embracing it and then thinking about what we have learned and what we do know and celebrating that to to look forward into the future because there's a ton of opportunity from a lot of the things that we have experienced as a state here and what we can now do looking forward is amazing i knew a lot about west virginia before i came here so you know the history and culture is, is something I'm really—I've not been shocking necessarily to your question, but it's been really interesting for me to really dive into and understand. And like anywhere else in the country, there are some really passionate people that believe in their little communities and want to make a change. And being and seeing that is really what motivates me. And being able to give them a little nudge, a little resource, a little bit of help to help them keep moving forward, help teach them how to fish a little bit better, a little bit more efficient is uh is always really exciting and what, what we're here to do
1: moving out of west virginia but more broadly speaking you know a lot of your work has centered around the outdoor economy specifically let's talk about the power of the outdoor economy and what it actually can bring to a community because this is something that you're you know you were directly involved with this and and your previous location of western north carolina
0: i mean yeah it's um it's not a an urban or rural thing, it's not a purple, it's not a red or blue thing. it's It's something that all of us across this entire country and honestly the entire world now know more than ever because of COVID that being outside has health benefits. It creates more resilient resiliency in our communities, having outdoor recreation amenities in times like a pandemic. There's some great data out there. But you know, as an industry as a whole, we're kind of just now growing up. In compared to our other other industries that have these massive lobbying forces and um, huge, you know, the outdoor recreation industry as a whole is bigger than so many other industries you wouldn't think of, like pharmaceuticals, oil and gas, auto parts. Right? The only thing that's I think still bigger is insurance and healthcare. Duh. Oh, we know how expensive those things are, but. You know, we're just now really starting to quantify that, tell that story. And thank goodness for some of the great champions at the national level, like Outdoor Industry Association, Outdoor Recreation Roundtable, that are really helping Outdoor Alliance, that are really helping rally the troops to be able to get that seat at the table and do that. And now we have the Bureau of Economic Analysis numbers to show that. um, The pandemic was tough on everybody, but we are seeing now that rural recreation communities were more resilient And we're more resistant to some of that turmoil, economic turmoil that happened over COVID. Uh, We know that people are are now more than ever looking, like we talked about earlier, looking for those places to live and remote. We now know remote work works. It's possible. It can happen. People are productive. They're not, you know, all the, the red herrings and stereotypes around this that were trying to be avoided in the past. We had no choice. We made it work pretty quickly, didn't we? I haven't worked in an office, the formal office, nine to five every day since 2010. So, you know, it's somewhere, 2011, something like that. It's been a long time. The outdoor industry is really coming to be. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing in the future what we've seen, some historic investments at the local, state, and federal level, trails especially. We're seeing $100 million greenway and rail trails in major metropolitan areas. We're seeing... Like in 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 West Virginia alone, we've had almost like twelve million dollars of money get designated to to mountain biking. The numbers, you know, Danny knows the numbers more. But like in the last year or two, like these massive multi million dollar investments that have never really happened before. So a lot of people have been pushing that rock uphill for a long time, and I think we're finally starting to see it become more mainstream. That it's not. Um, Recreation, like I I, I use the term infrastructure, I don't say recreation. You know, this is outdoor recreation is infrastructure for all the one tool that a community can employ to really uh, address a lot of the things they're trying to to tackle, and um, we need it now more than ever. So it's exciting to see such attention, both at legislative level, advocacy level, uh, and of course participation. And we have a lot of work to do still, though. People are back in the grind. They're back into doing all the things that they have to do and have less time. I wish I had more time to spend outside like I did during those two years of COVID, but people still have that in their brain. I think our youth as well can see that being outside is is important.
1: Yeah. And you threw out some numbers there that are, some people might think are kind of high, but the reality is, and this is a topic that I've been getting into more at the podcast, generally speaking, is that the return on investment relative to other forms of infrastructure or other types of infrastructure is huge i mean 12 million dollars is is a small highway project i mean let's be honest but what's 12 million dollars in the world of outdoor
0: recreation it can give you a lot um, you know whether it's whether it's 10 or 12 the, the total number is arbitrary lots of millions of dollars have been provided just to one activity in one state and and that's just scratching the surface trails are really at their zenith right now and and trails are the conduit to nature without out without trails there is no outdoor economy so you know when you think about what the outdoors resources looks at and measures uh you take away campgrounds and lakes and a few other things every activity looked at and measured in the outdoor economy is trail centric so we need to do a better job making those connections to our main streets and all of that but the numbers are astonishing and i'm not downplaying need and value for traditional like say traditional ball sports or infrastructure it's all part of it but we have again thinking about the ecosystem model we haven't really looked at these things holistically and had a good balance we've all been kind of one-sided in many cases so connecting our green space our open space our public lands and wooded areas to where people live is going to be the biggest impact we can have and get the biggest bang for our buck
1: yeah and you've been doing this I mean, as we've unearthed you know for quite a while could you imagine like Say back in 2012 or 13, you know, when you were earlier on in your Imba career, that we'd be where we are today.
0: You know, I always envisioned a day when, you know, I didn't have to convince anybody of the value of trails. It's better. Like, can't tell you how many projects that I've been a part of where they're being driven and funded by a health foundation or by a local municipality and the, the, the local trail groups at the table, but not the ones who are bearing the entire weight and the burden of themselves on volunteers. There's still a lot of that, but we're now getting to shifting to where we're working on growing our capacity to help like activate, program, and take care of these assets because they're being invested in as a, as a quality of life amenity that everybody needs. So it's exciting to see I, everybody's still not, convinced so there's still work to do and and i won't you know be satisfied even in my deathbed until there's a trail within a mile everybody in the country not just in your down.
1: yeah that's definitely it. and that's playing off the whole more trails close to home you know tagline that emba pushes and is so important it's you know we've seen communities that have really i mean we could throw out we could throw out parks we've talked about bentonville but we could throw out say park city you know where they had the tagline years ago my garage is my trailhead right Yeah,
0: yeah a lot of communities are rebranding themselves around their assets or at least in, 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 at least, you know, not the recreation sexy. That's why like most campus admissions brochures have the, the climbing wall or the rafting trip on the front page. Like, look what you could do when you come here and college experience. I mean, look at the car companies that every one of them has bikes or boats on top of a, vehicle driving through a beautiful place because they know it works. They know everybody wants to have that access and that opportunity. So, uh, the tide is definitely changing, but there's still a lot more to do.
1: Yeah. And that's another metric for a community. And it's something I've definitely seen in my community shift over years, which is you used to see a car driving through town to the rack on the back of it and a bike or a couple of bikes. And you knew who they were. Now you have no idea who that person is because there's just so many more of them.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, my mentor and old business partner, Greg Brummett, used to call it the rack factor. It was uh, anecdotal uh, indicators. We would go into a community, you would say, how many, how many boat and bike racks are on cars? And then you know your, you know your efforts at vibrancy and active lifestyle strategies working when you see more of those racks on cars. And when I pull into a place and I see people outside and I see a lot of vehicles with racks on them, I feel like, okay, I belong here. Um, this is a place that gets it because a lot of people, other, other people here get it too. Um, I want to get out and immerse myself in that experience.
1: Yeah. One of the things we didn't talk about, but has been a topic that has stuck with me ever since I heard you talk about it in 2018. And it's stuck with me ever since. And it's now, I think the tides are shifting on this. And that is, you know, outdoor recreation, broadly speaking, has been built on the backs of volunteers. And I think now we're seeing professional organizations really get professional, you know, and really shift that. And now even communities are really looking towards like legit professionals. We'll say like professional trail builders in the case of what we're talking about trails here, but how, you know, what are your thoughts on that, you know, over the last couple of years? Cause it's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are numerous cities and park districts that have, have either a trail specialist on staff or have trained up their team. This day and age too, it's a little bit, there's less, less unused property in some of these public lands and these open spaces. So it's, you know, 20 years ago, it's like, yeah, here's a spot we don't care about. Go out there and do your thing. And now, you know, we'd be a little bit more intentional. That still happens. But, uh, you know, and we, this, the trails community, mountain bikers especially, that was the way they had to operate. So it's not like it was wrong or right. It was and many champions that unfortunately some of our new writers or you know organizational members don't know the the decades of advocacy and work and dedication and meeting papers and action alerts and things that have had to happen in order to get some of these places that we have now that they take for granted but it it, that work for those old you know People with a lot of dirt under their fingernails, you know, you know, many of them, you've done that yourself. Uh, they should be proud to know that the tide has turned and that, that this is now been being looked at more than ever. And I hope that we're not done as a vital asset that is being funded so that they don't, it's much easier to push 10 hours of push and paper can yield way more trail than 10 hours bent over with the rhino in your hand. A grant, uh, a meeting, a pitch with the right philanthropic partner to help them see the potential of why a community or an area should have trails can can set up a lot more, a lot quicker. So, um, you know, our trails are here and we're built that way out of necessity. But it's great to see if that that's changing, so that our community partners and those that that new breed of advocates can focus more on how do we make sure that we're leveraging that investment. How do we make sure that what we sold and told those partners comes fruition? How do we make sure we're taking care of it into perpetuity from an operation and maintenance standpoint and getting, getting everybody aware of it and out there enjoying it in a, in a, in a fun way that builds the community and the culture. We know. That they can.
1: Yeah. And I didn't really have this as a topic for you. And it was something I was going to go to more with rich. And, we, and I did talk about this with Danny a little bit though, but the value of a plan, you know, it's, I think it's so undervalued, you know, and the Trail Accelerator Grant Program really proved this more than anything that I've seen. Actually, that was in a quantifiable sense, which is you put, I don't know, we'll say across the country, a million dollars into trail planning, into, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 communities, right? But then what that unlocked in terms of both public officials being able to understand what exactly they were approving. And pushing for, but also it unlocked money that nobody even knew or thought of because of the philanthropic people that are not necessarily willing to donate to an idea, but are willing to donate to a legit plan. And I think that's something that we definitely need to see more of, and we're going to see more of in our spaces.
0: Yeah. You know, if it's not in the plan, it's not in the plan. And if you want to go big, you got to have it in the big plan. And those, those, those steps are, are imperative. You know, Uh, In 2016, 2017, Imba really stepped back and said what, you know, having tried a lot of approaches, having had 20 plus staff on the ground, working out in all these communities and realizing that was extremely challenging to sustain financially, all those bodies out there doing great work and really making a lot happen, like the amount of mountain biking that came on board. And sophistication of local organizations that happened from 2010 to 2018 was was unimaginable. Um, how much went down? How how much got started with the with that capacity that was was inject interjected into the professional capacity and support in the mountain bike community. However, it wasn't sustainable. And you know, we we stepped back and we looked at what are the the things that will yield the biggest ROI with. The, the, what are the biggest barriers? And that planning piece was one of the biggest ones. Why It's why the trail lab was created. It's why the trail accelerator grant was created. All of that was part of the same plan, the same package. Was that It was a, a strategic identified need and a, and a tactic that Imba could leverage expertise to exponentially open up so much more funding and, and, and understanding through the labs and the funding through the accelerator grants that could get us a lot more trail on the ground than, than we'd ever have with a bunch of bodies out there in the, doing the grind. So that was out of necessity, but that was a strategic shift in the pr- approach and priority. And thank goodness some of the believers in that program early, like the Longbinder Foundation, were able to, to, to jumpstart that. And I, am, I love seeing that it is still happening today, and I'm now able to be on the other end of the table uh, with local communities writing those TAG grants and, and working with EMBA to see that happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get asked regularly, especially through the podcast from people just messaging or whatever, like, how do I get trails in my community? I'm like, you got to get a plan. Like I live in a community that was a fortunate receiver of a trail accelerator grant and that, you know, it was a, it was a $30,000 grant, $15,000 from the city, $15,000 from, from IMBA. And that unlocked $425,000, one $425,000 donation. You got it. You know, and that's, so but so many people get stuck at the plan and it's such a small investment. Compared Why can't to I just plan? go
0: out and dig, dig in the dirt? I'm like it again, a little bit of planning and a little bit of talking to the right people with the right documentation you can unlock hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars uh, and get you a whole lot more trail, a lot more quality trail, not on your back. And now look, I know people love to dig and I don't ever want to take that away from people. There's still plenty of opportunities to do that. But when we're talking about transforming a community through the power of trails, we've got to think bigger. We have to do, do with significant investment. The way we do that is with plans, like you said. Yeah.
1: I mean, could you imagine building a house without a plan? Like, how do you think that thing would end up?
0: Well, my house will be terrible, but I know some people that would be absolutely able to do that. Uh, but again, it might take them a whole lot longer by themselves doing it than having a plan and hiring 20 contractors to divide and conquer, which is the whole point.
1: Well, we kind of got a little bit away from West Virginia University. Do you have anything that we didn't discuss through this that you'd like to throw out there before we close this one out?
0: I I just wanna, you know, reiterate that we're just getting started. The millions of dollars of investment, if you have if people have your listeners haven't already heard about the six million dollar bike park, one of the largest in the eastern United States, the brand new Thunderstruck Trail and the couple more million dollars in 10, 20 more miles going into Cakein. And then the 30 other projects that are happening. And then, of course, the, the other programs that we're doing, we're just getting started. So we're very collaborative. It's in our name. Um, we want to share, we want to support this work. And we're doing that with partners up and down Appalachia. But, you know, if we can help, if we can help share, not only tell our story, but help other partners that are. In the trenches, doing this, or other communities that need a little boost or inspiration, this is a place that you wouldn't expect a lot of these things to go down, and this amount of momentum to happen. It's happening, and somebody shared with me last week, or I heard at a at a conference that people that have lived here their whole lives are starting to sense and feel the seed change and the the energy and the excitement and the tone changing, and that's really powerful. And I'm looking forward to to witnessing that. And and, 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 you know, cause I don't have that historical perspective, but uh, there's a lot happening. So if, if, if West Virginia is not on your listeners radar now, it should be because we're, we're just getting started.
1: You know, I, before we close this out, I had a fleeting thought that really should have been brought up before this. And it's cause I went off on the, the planning tangent. So I'm sorry about that. You know, we talked about Ascend West Virginia, which part of that is remote work. And you brought up remote work as being a remote worker, you know, for the better part of a decade now, you know, and and that is a huge part of Ascend West Virginia. This was brought up in part one, and I've thought this for a long time myself, that remote work is a very viable way of working. And we knew that before COVID, but then COVID accelerated it. Let's let's dive into the remote work side with Ascend West Virginia quick before we close this one out.
0: I have a phenomenal group of colleagues that run and lead that. I'm not at all involved in the day-to-day magic of all the work that they do, but I have been fortunate to witness and speak to some of the Ascenders that are here. I'm hoping to get out and ride with them on the Motown social ride tonight. Many of them are there. Uh, I think in general, though, brought big picture that, The date may be wrong, but I think I read by 2030, half the U.S. population is going to be remote work. So think about that. Like In a very short amount of time, the way things go these days, we're going to blink and, holy crap, it's 2030. Half the workforce is going to be, half the workforce, not the population, half the workforce is going to be remote. We need to be rethinking how we do things, how we set up our communities, how we connect these people that are coming in to the other great cultural and community building and social aspects, we've got to change how we do that. And that's what's so great about Ascend is that the program is connecting them together, connecting them with the community, getting them out and exploring, providing excursions and social events and really programming that they don't have to figure it out on their own. A lot of the other models out there that I've seen are kind of like, here's some money, move here. The intentionality and community building, in addition to all the great outdoor experiences, gear rentals, and things that go along with the Yosemite Junior Program, is pretty powerful, and I think up the game on their level to make sure that people gonna. You know, I know from listening to what they, they go through is that their interview process, the details they look at, and the readiness of the people that are going to fit here. Uh, why they want to come, their motivations. They've really they've been they're learning and growing as well with the program. And I think that's another real testament to their investment and the leadership of that group and the people that are passionately involved in that program is that they're, they're it's not just up, we set it and forget it, it's done, we're going to keep plugging and chugging. No, they're constantly innovating their process and everything they do. So I uh, admire that, that program and that work. I think it's a key element, it's a key part. Strategy. It's a key element of the ecosystem. It's not the savior. And in the grand scheme of things, yes, it's expensive, but the cost of losing, continually losing population is way more expensive. So thank goodness we have visionaries uh, like Brad and Elise to believe in that program. This team like Danny and, and Greg and leadership who put that on the table. And of course, the university and President Dee that, that are all on board and really behind all of this and see the potential at a lander institution and our role and responsibility to support the entire state, not just university property and not just here in mortgage. i and doing that. And that's where uh, why I'm here is to help the whole state uh, continue to in their own the communities in their own unique way, leverage and harness the power of outdoor recreation.
1: That's perfect. That was, you nailed it. So that's exactly what I was looking for with that question. And I think that'll resonate with a lot of listeners and other leaders that get to listen to this stuff. So.
0: Many of our Ascend communities have open applications, Josh. So, if anybody listening wants to get in on the action, if I'm not mistaken, there might be some new communities coming on board in the future too. That team just continues to crank away. So, um, if you're not, bought, if you're a remote worker or want to become one, just should pay attention to San West Virginia. Be part of the magic.
1: Danny did tease that there's a couple more that we're going to be, that you guys are working on and will be coming online in the future. So, in West Virginia, I
0: mean, that team's always moving.
1: Let's talk about like West Virginia. It's got so much awesome topography in mountains. I mean, they have a World Cup downhill race, a World Cup cross-country race. They have incredible things to do. It's just, it's kind of off. It, it kind of, I think, well, I think the World Cup put it on a lot of people's radar that are into that world of mountain biking, but it's awesome.
0: There's a lot here that is great. There are a lot of things that could, could be improved. And that's what, what everybody here is working on from bringing in more uh, amenities that support that experience. When you're coming here for world-class recreation, you want to make sure that you've got things open in the evenings and weekends, you've got the diversity of restaurants and, and establishments you want to frequent with your friends for that Opry ride beverage or whatever it is. Uh, and that you, you know how to effectively create those memories, uh, an easy way And, and information communication and, and all the apps and all the things that do that are all part of that. So we're looking at all of it and some many other great stakeholders are too. So like I said, um, we're just getting started.
1: Yeah. And you brought up Opry v- Beverage. I'm going to bring up Opry Wood Fired Pizza because I throw that out in almost every show because I think every great community is great because they have wood fired pizzas to go eat when you're done.
0: You know, um, there is there is some really, really good pizza, wood fired pizza. You know, I love it so much. We bought my, our own wood fired pizza for the, the patio right here next to where I'm sitting. So uh, we, we end up making our own a lot. It's a fun family activity. You're having friends over to, Make your own pizza. Uh, I agree. I, I like tacos, Josh. I look for it. I would love to have a good burrito or a good taco joint along with my cerveza after my ride.
1: Andy, thank you very much for your time in this. And this will be an awesome story to get out. I hope a lot of people really take note on what you guys are doing in West Virginia, you know, because it's, it is an incredible thing. And you've, you've been involved in a lot of incredible things and you can bring your talent and your knowledge to that state like you're doing it now.
0: I'm just one part of a, of a big puzzle with a lot of great, smart people. Uh, excited to chat with you today, Josh. Appreciate the opportunity you helping us tell our story. Thank you for listening.
1: Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will be part three of the four-part series, featuring the West Virginia University and their mission of advancing West Virginia through outdoor recreation via the Bradnally Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative with the infamous Rich Edwards as our guest. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Fact podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Fact podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Fact through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value-for-value value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for TrailFact. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.